that was a bit of an emotional journey as well. You kind of think the first time you sit down to have an ultrasound of your womb, it's going to be this beautiful moment between you and your partner because you're choosing to have a baby. But the reason why I was in those stirrups was because I was about to start chemo. So that was a pretty emotional day for me that I was not anticipating. Mm. Hello and welcome to the 25 Stay Alive podcast, an inspiring, real and raw conversation with Hugo and Willie, two army mates and cancer survivors who are passionate in helping the lives of other young men and women. Welcome everybody for the third installment of the 25 Stay Alive podcast. Uh, I'm Hugo and as always I'm joined by Willie. Welcome Willie. Hey Hugo, how are you mate? Yeah, well thanks mate. We're also joined here by an inspirational uh, young lady who's currently going through a fight with stage 3 bowel cancer and she's got an incredible journey and her name is Dahlia. Welcome Dahlia. Hey boys. It's really nice to be able to find other people that are in the same mindset as I am. Um, going through the same thing that I am. So it's nice to be, have someone to relate to. I suppose what makes this uh, this whole interview more uh, remarkable is the fact that Willie has just finished his 10th round of chemotherapy. So he's very much and truly still undergoing treatment for his brain cancer. And Dahlia is uh, is undergoing her fifth round of chemo with, with seven uh, rounds to go with a total of 12 rounds. And she's sitting next to Willie today with her uh, take-home chemo so I think it's pretty bloody impressive that I'm speaking to these two absolute legends who are still uh, going through chemo during this whole podcast yeah we're sitting next to each other with um Dahlia's bottle of chemo (laughs) chemo between us and a big thing of donuts so it's all good and bad (laughs) pros and cons yeah and for those listening Dahlia did make some handmade 25 stay alive episode three donuts which is uh, which is awesome so look Dahlia it's really good having you on the show today and raising awareness and and really educating young men and women about some pretty important topics and conversations but uh before we actually get into all of that uh might just do a bit of a background about who you are and I believe you were a pretty keen gymnast, which started at a pretty young age. Yeah, I started at five years old and carried through till I was 20. Wow. It's been a massive part of my life. Um, yeah. So I was very uh, fitness orientated and probably trained up to 25 hours a week Jeez. towards the end there. So it was pretty intense, taught me a lot. Um, I got to travel a lot, did a few international competitions, competed for South Australia completed for my club overseas. So it was an amazing experience to have at such a young age to be able to travel around mm. Australia and to different countries. Gymnastics took up so much of my life. That I didn't actually have much of a social life. Mm. You, couldn't just, you don't just take three months off gymnastics. It's not how it works. Oh, really? And what, yeah. what specific did you do in gymnastics? Like oh, my whole like knowledge on gymnastics is like on the trampoline or on the horse thing and that that's like it <laughs> so the there's rhythmic gymnastics and then there's all around so vault bars beam and floor they're the mm. four apparatuses that female gymnasts compete in maybe we can have a separate episode where uh, you teach willie how to do some uh, some handstands or something like that oh yeah we can head oh, to God. the gym for sure i don't know if we have enough time for that or um, <laughs> i think we might lose all our listeners or we'll lose we'll lose one of the hosts no, i think the visuals will draw everybody in what are you yeah, talking about yeah, for sure. so look after your 15 years of of gymnastics when was it when you decided to venture over to Canada? Because I understand you're a pretty avid snowboarder. So uh, that would have been 2011. I was 20. I had a close friend who had done a previous season at this ski hill in the middle of nowhere. 
the closest town was 40 minutes away. So it was really nice to be on such a secluded ski slope where you wouldn't come across too many people oh, from yeah. Australia, which... Which in Canada, you know, <laughs> there's Australians everywhere. Banff is literal, literally little Australia. <laughs> yeah. So it was good to be able to sort of meet more locals and people that just literally grew up snowboarding on this mountain. So they're all just like elite as far as snowboarding is concerned. And I'm kind of just like on the bunny hill. And then, a, then a, an Australian from Adelaide comes across. It's yeah, like, just like. What is this white powder stuff? Find us kind yeah. of situation. I'm sure you're just being modest there, Dahlia. And when was it then you met your husband and then you both uh, ended up owning a bakery together? So before I actually started working at the bakery, I broke my leg for a piece of cake. Yeah, why not? I um, was at a 21st and I ran upstairs in high heels to go get more cake and I was running down the stairs and the bouncer was like, watch yourself. And I was like, you watch yourself. <laughs> and they got down to the bottom bottom step, stepping onto the ground in high heels and I fractured my fibula. Oh, I'm not a believer in karma, but I bet, uh, oh. I bet the bouncer's a bit like, well, look, you deserved it. Yeah, lost the cake. It was, it was devastating. Um, well, and then um, many years later you end up owning a bakery. So I suppose you've always had a passion for cakes then. Yeah, well, it seems, yeah, <laughs> definitely a coincidence. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that. <laughs> So yeah, me and my husband own the Brighton Jetty Bakery and um, his father taught me how to bake, which I never saw myself doing, but I do very much enjoy it. I find it very cathartic. It's very nice to be able to make something from scratch, bake it off and then be able to serve it to a customer. It's um, quite rewarding, which I, I really enjoy it. Oh yeah. And I know, I don't know if you head down there, Hugo, but in, um, in Brighton, the Brighton Jetty Bakery's always been a bit of a favourite for mine for brekkie as well. No, unfortunately, I haven't been to the Brighton Bakery, uh, Willie, but I am definitely keen to go check it out. Maybe we'll do a coffee date there when I'm in Adelaide next and we can we can go uh, test out uh, Dahlia's baking skills. <laughs> so, Dahlia, before we actually touch into your personal cancer journey, uh, I just want to ask you, have you ever experienced any uh, cancer in the family or what was your kind of perceptions of cancer, I suppose, being, uh, being in your 20s? The thing is, is that so many people say to me, well, because I have bowel cancer, so a lot of people are saying, is it in the family? Because it's for me to have at such a young age, it's usually a hereditary kind of thing. But the only other experience that I have with cancer, I don't have any other family members, extended family members that have had any issues. But my brother was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when he was 23. Wow. So that would have made me 16. And they're totally unrelated. And we've definitely taken a different sort of pathway, me being very open about it and him being quite closed off about it. He was only sharing it with the people that he was very close to and he just found it better for his healing process to keep it within the family but we've just taken different pathways and how we want to share our story. And I think it's worked for him and he's been oh, yeah. yeah, in remission for many, many years now. And and that's fantastic to hear that he's in remission. But that's sort of the, uh, the thing I take away from that is cancer, although it affects so many of us, is such a unique and individual journey you all go through. So it goes from one end sort of being rather empowering through and keeping it sort of in-house and close to is what you're doing and raising massive awareness and being so positive and upbeat about it and everything. Um, and it's not that one way is right or wrong. Absolutely. And I think that it's been really good to see him move on with it. Um, he doesn't bring it up unless it's relevant to a conversation or anything like that. Him and his wife have um, were, man were able to conceive naturally and they've got a beautiful, healthy one-year-old who's flying around the place these days. So yeah. it's really nice to see yeah, and that, that's sort of a big thing is, you know, there's life after cancer. Good point there as well, uh, Will, and it is true everyone does does handle things like cancer or I suppose any life adversity really uh, in their own way. Uh, there's no real right or wrong. On that point, it's 
It's an interesting one that Willie and I have often spoken about is the common misconceptions or perceived, I guess, ideas of what cancer is. It's an interesting one. Like I know when I went through chemotherapy or cancer treatment for my testicular cancer, I lost all my hair and I became very um, very skinny and pale. And I kind of was that, that image of what people perceive a cancer person as. And I kind of was that, whereas Willie's handled, well, I guess not handled, but had different side effects from his chemo. And what was your perception, I suppose, someone going through cancer actually looked like? Yeah, exactly. You just think they're supposed to have a like bald head, skinny, pale, not very energetic. You have this real stereotypical perception of what they're supposed to look like. And um, but it's been really interesting. One of my girlfriends actually has alopecia. And so we go out and everyone thinks that she's much more sicker than I am because she has a shaved head and I've got purple locks. So it's <laughs> kind of interesting. We've been meaning to mess with some people with that, but we haven't, we haven't got around to it, but it's quite obvious that it's been for her, I think, you know, she's getting more stares than I am, for example. And that, that would be incredibly hard. I sort of feel almost more so for some girls and guys. Like if I lost my hair, well, I have a shaved head a lot of the time anyway. And, and I, I can sort of understand how difficult that would be. But then, you know, that's only a small percentage of people who live with cancer. And I think too, a lot of people have this perception that cancer leads to death in every case. Right. When sometimes I'm almost like cancer can lead to life. Like people are thinking, oh, geez, I'm not, you know, invincible. I'm going to live the best life ever and move on through it and, and go from there. Has your sort of outlook on on your existence changed? I'm the cancer? happiest I've ever been in my life, yeah. hands down, absolutely. Yeah. I feel the most peaceful, I feel the most in control and the like so supported, obviously. Um, I think a lot of my strength comes from David and and my, my parents and his parents and it just, just sort of trickles down but I just... I've never felt more comfortable being myself. That's pretty powerful to say that. And maybe it's because when you go through something like that, your kind of perceptions change a bit. You know, what you, I guess, truly value. Like for me, uh, I realised that life is pretty precious and it made me closer to my partner. Um, going through my recent cancer, it made me closer to my family and, and that kind of mindset of, of what I truly valued. Yeah, I had the same experience. And David and I talk about it all the time about how, when you really step back and have a, we have a look at our lives and we sort of look around and see where we are and where we live and who we associate with, we have everything that we need. There's nothing else that we feel like we're missing in our lives. We really have been able to realise we've got everything. We've got everything that we need to make each other happy. And- see, I'd even go a step further, Dahlia, and say, and I've only known Dahlia for really a couple of days and this is the first time I've met but not only is she content that she has everything she needs in her life but then it's almost that much she's radiating it on to other people like I know even my mood has has become better and how I feel about myself being around Dahlia and she's you know doing sort of the chemo themo where she dresses up in the chemotherapy room not only does that say oh look how happy and comfortable I am but I think the the effect of that radiating onto other people you might not actually see how great that is but it's fantastic and I'm sure there's people who you've never even seen who are following what you do and think she brings a smile to my face every time I'm in here and you being like that would be helping people so much. Yeah, giving me something to look forward to, to go to chemo on that day because I get to like do my dress-ups and see all my chemo friends, <laughs> put a smile on their face. 
it can be a pretty scary process for a lot of people. And I think, you know, taking a bit of a light heart of view on it and a bit of a bit of fun with it is is so important for a lot of people. Yeah, I love that chemo themo. And for those listening, uh, you can go on Dahlia's Instagram page and you can follow her chemo themo outfits. I think she's been a, a lifesaver, a Marilyn Monroe. Uh, yeah. I think it's just an awesome, awesome initiative that you've come up with. So you mentioned before, Dahlia, that you're in a pretty happy place at the moment, which is great to hear. But you have had to overcome some pretty significant hurdles. So we've indirectly touched on a few of those things, but let's just go back to October last year when when you really started noticing some symptoms or actually probably before October, when you actually started noticing some um, symptoms with your bowel. So I had symptoms the last week of September, 2018. I just had a bit of blood in my stool. And like, again, we have a very let's say jovial environment at the bakery like everyone's very open everyone's always laughing about the bits and bobs that go on in your life and so I remember coming into the shop being like guys my poo is rougey like it's going pink and I had pink hair at the time I was like do you think that's a thing and they were like I don't think so." (laughs) so that lasted about a week and then on the 1st of October it was a public holiday and I only passed blood. So there was no, there was nothing else in the toilet. I was just passing some blood. And that wow. really scared me. I called my nurse friend. She said it could have been a variety of other causes. It could have been internal hemorrhoids, could have been a fissure, which is a tear in the colon. Could be a lot of things. She wasn't very stressed. My mother's mother and mother-in-law, my mother's, <laughs> um, they weren't too stressed about it either. But I, I don't know. I just wanted to go to the hospital. So I went and they gave me an internal exam, which is lovely. Um, and there was, you know, there wasn't any indication of any bleeding at that point. Um, he asked me if I had private health and suggested that I get a colonoscopy. So I got forwarded to the gastroenterologist for the following day. So I went in there being like, I'm going to get a colonoscopy because I had no idea what a colonoscopy was. And Dave's like, you're not getting a colonoscopy tomorrow. It's not how it works. (laughs) I went in there. (laughs) I had no idea. So I went in there and I spoke to the gastroenterologist and he asked me to pick out my poo on a poo chart and just had a good old chat. Um, they also opted to give me an endoscopy. So that goes down your throat, colonoscopy through your butt. That was the Friday. And then the following Thursday, the 11th of October was my due, or was my appointment for my colonoscopy. A three-day process before you can actually have a colonoscopy because they need to wipe you out. So the evening was not the best, but it was especially excruciating for me because I had a tumour blocking my bowels. But obviously at the time I had no idea. And everyone just said it's a terrible process. So so when you were passing all that blood and you were seeing all those specialists and of getting into appointments and having a colonoscopy, I know you're a pretty positive person, but surely then you thought that something may have been up? No, nah, I was so vague. I was just like, we went to a wedding the Saturday night before. I remember being at work and having to go to the toilet seven times a day just to pass blood. So even before that, I don't know, I did. I seriously did not. I thought maybe because people said, oh, you know, you can have polyps and bacon bleed. So they'll just go in, singe the polyps out and you'll be good to go. That was mm. kind of the idea. I thought maybe that was the cause, but cancer was not, not at all. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of us go in like that, like, nah, nah, nah. no about. way. My brother had cancer. I can't also have cancer. Yeah. That's not how it works. Yeah, funny, that was true. So do you, did, before you had your, your cancer, did you, did you know anything about bowel cancer at all? Did you know that it typically affected older people? Like what was your understanding of it all? I didn't know that it was an old person. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even know what a colonoscopy was. I was floating through life. I had no idea <laughs> that bowel cancer was an old person's disease until my surgeon told me that. See, I didn't even know what an oncologist was. I was like, what is this? Like <laughs> the oncologist, I had to Google like a cancer doctor. I'm like, ah, oh, ah, 
Brilliant. Shit. Okay. That <laughs> yeah. means I've got cancer. Um, <laughs> so I went in for the colonoscopy. I was feeling fine. I always see when, you know, when you get sedated, I'm like, it's time travel. I'm going to, I'm going to go to sleep, I'm gonna wake up in the future. I was just always like, so I was sort of giggling about that. I had the colonoscopy, time traveled into the future, woke up. Oh my God. It was so frustrating. I'm really bad with accents. And I had a Scottish nurse and I was just like, I don't know what you're saying, but I was just <laughs> really trying to concentrate. And the gastroenterologist came in and he's like, yep. So we did your endoscopy. You don't have celiac disease. However, we found a tumor and you have cancer. I like how he drops. You don't have celiac. And you're like, yes, but you have cancer. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks, mate. It's like a <laughs> silly thread. Yeah, well, the fact that he told you straight away, straight after the colonoscopy, uh, that you had this tumour and that you had had bowel cancer, yeah. uh, it must have been pretty obvious because I know when I had my colonoscopy, it actually took a couple of days before they got the results back to confirm it. So they couldn't go anywhere into my bowel because it was quite low to my rectum. And so he couldn't do a proper colonoscopy because it was like two-thirds blocking my bowel. I've had a few people contact me online and basically the vast majority of the, I said there's probably like four people that I've had sort of conversations with. I've joined, a, I have to add you to the group, Hugo. It's a younger guys and gals with bowel cancer group. Oh, sounds um, crazy. A very exclusive group. It's a very yeah. exclusive group. You actually have to get cancer to get into it. <laughs> Speaking with all those people, basically everyone was misdiagnosed. This one girl that I'm very close with, um, her name's Jess. She was misdiagnosed for five years. She was bleeding for five years and it wasn't until two months ago that she found out that she had bowel cancer. For me, I feel very grateful that it was such a smooth process. And basically in the same sentence of him saying, you've got cancer, he said, your surgeon's waiting for you at Ashford Hospital after you have your iron transfusion. Mm. That was probably, that was the hardest part, right? I had to sit there and have the iron transfusion had my iron transfusion and then I went straight downstairs to have a CT scan right away. I don't know. And they wheeled me down there in a wheelchair. I was like, this is a thing. Yeah, I walked in here. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Then we went straight to Ashford Hospital to meet the greatest surgeon ever. His name is Diane defont Galland, and you've mentioned his name in front of any healthcare professional and they'll start smiling and say what a fantastic surgeon he was. So for me, like I had immediate trust in all of my doctors, all my surgeons, my oncologists, you know, I didn't have that anxiety that people might have when they've been told by multiple professionals, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Yeah. It's, um, it is an important point. If you are going through something medically, you're always entitled to a second opinion, a third opinion, a fourth opinion. Like Dahlia said, a couple of those friends in that group that she's been speaking to unfortunately went years being misdiagnosed. If you feel that you may have been misdiagnosed or you want that second opinion, you don't always have to just, if the doctor says that it must be right, it must be gospel because sometimes cases can be unique. They can be complex. So, you know, go seek that second or third opinion. Yeah. So he basically told me everything on the spot. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I just feel like specialists and doctors, they like to write, like like to draw. They'll just pull out blank pieces of paper and just start drawing lines. Yeah. And sometimes there's words. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So he pulled out his piece of paper and he basically described to me where the tumour was and basically all of the statistics regarding the surgery. Mm. So he basically said to me, he's like, do you see how much hair I don't have? And I said, yes. And he said, do you see that the hair that I do have is gray? And I go, yes. <laughs> and he said, I've been studying my entire life so that I can be the best at this surgery. Mm. He said to me, the most important thing is to have all of the cancer removed. And he said, you know, do you want to have children? You're going to have to 
go through IVF, IVF as a precautionary measure. You might wake up with an ileostomy bag. He said that it was 95% chance that I won't. Turns out I'm in the 5%. You're in the 5%. Yep. And he also said to me that the chances of it spreading to my lymph nodes was 70%. So I was kind of already under the impression that it, it had spread. But I think the thing that made me less stressed out was because I had the CT scan, actually the first thing he said, he drew a picture of what I think were lungs and a picture of what I think was a liver, put big ticks on them and said, they are not here. Oh, that would have been a huge relief. Yeah. The first place, the first sets of organs that they would have, that the um, cancer would have traveled to is your lungs and your liver and you're clear. Okay. So, I'm guessing, yeah. Yeah. So after he said that, I was kind of like, well, if it's not in other organs. So there's a few tears at that point, but I don't know why I didn't freak out because I'm a very emotional person. Did, did he say cancer at that point? Yeah. yeah. Tumor cancer. Because mm. um, one of the hardest things I've had to do during this whole thing, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it, where Willie and I touched on it last last episode, was actually processing it yourself was one thing but then kind of when you come to terms of it it's okay that's great I'm optimistic but then actually then calling your your family yeah was that difficult terrible the drive home from Ashford to my parents house was the worst I felt so sick David actually told his parents over the phone because we feel like they could have handled it over the phone but we could not tell my mum over the phone so we basically were just like oh yeah they found it we just lied just to coerce her into coming home. And then by the time she got home, Dave, we asked David's fa- parents to meet us at my parents' house. Mm. And so mum walked in and we were all kind of sitting there and she just was like, oh, God. She was quite concerned about me having the colonoscopy in the first place. I don't know. She's just always concerned mm. about me. Yeah, <laughs> as mums do. Yeah, and so basically I just sat there and I was like, David? And my, David told mum. I don't even remember what he said, mm. but she just like, started crying instantly and that that was just the worst having her her third child me and then being the second child to have cancer just seems like so unfair to her no, it's you know an unfair like roller coaster, it's, isn't it? yeah it's just not fair no nah, it's your baby boy goes through cancer and then exactly. your baby girl goes through cancer yeah. completely unrelated and i sort of felt like and, and i'll sort of ask you on this as well i felt sort of so guilty seeing the pain yeah I caused, like I'd never want to put my parents or my loved ones in pain and yet I'm the reason that they're so upset at it and that's so hard. She is not. She's still very much in pain. Until I'm in remission, she'll be in pain. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's one of those things that's always a mother's worst nightmare when their children uh, go through something like that. Yeah. Just to finish off the next few steps, I um, had the colonoscopy on the 11th and then my surgeon said to me, do you want to go talk to your family? You want to book surgery? I said, booked surgery. So he got on the phone and booked me in for 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. So obviously we went home. I think maybe Dave and I had a little bit of, I had a bit of a cry, but nothing crazy. And I just went to sleep, packed my bag and went to the hospital the next day. Mm. I had my surgery 10-ish, 11-ish on Saturday morning. Did my time travel again. Yeah. Much longer time travel. The Probably the scariest part, like the part that was the most unsettling for me was Basically, everyone in the hospital was just like, oh, my God, you're so young. And just talking to the anaesthetist and, like, the whole you're laying in this bed and you see the lights going down the corridor and you yeah. feel like you're – it's really scary. It's Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, the whole process, like, leading up to walking in, being taken into the theatre is is actually petrifying. Oh, like, yeah. It's I've, I've had the same. I was 
Yeah, well, that's my first ever chills. first ever time travel. Yeah, exactly. Um, for me, was yeah. was when I had a, had a biopsy in my brain. Yeah. And you sort of those those lights down the hallway, and you're like, oh my god. Same with on? you, Hugo. Yeah, very much the same. It's uh, it can be a very anxious time uh, going in for a, for a major operation like that, and I think it's a big big shout out to the nurses and the hospital staff because absolutely uh, they're the ones that quite often uh, make all the patients. Are more comfortable and obviously the drugs help and the sedation helps and so you eventually went to the knife and, and time traveled like you like to call it uh, so what was it like uh, or how did the surgery go the first thing I remember waking up in recovery I was like whatever music is playing it's not very good and I need you to change the radio station <laughs> so they changed it and then I remember being wheeled to the, the recovery ward and that was yeah I just remember being super pie yeah <laughs> I remember my family coming. I was like, guys, it's fine. <laughs> like, I was like, do I have the bag? And they said yes. And I was like, what the heck? And what was sort of your initial take with having the bag? I didn't care. Yeah. I was so like buzzed out. Like my family came in. I was like, got this bag. It will be reversed. I'm not too stressed about it. Like I'm, I feel fine. Like So the surgeon removed uh, moved about 30 centimetres of your colon and he removed uh, some of your lymph nodes because I understand that's where the, the cancer spread to. Yeah. And then after waking up in the hospital with the ileostomy bag, which uh, which you seem to handle uh, pretty well, albeit as you said, because you're quite high. <laughs> so once uh, you're recovered in hospital and you're ready to discharge and ready to go home, uh, what was it like uh, heading home and, and adjusting uh, to your new, new life? Sort of what they don't tell you. And I guess for me, because it was such a speedy process. I hadn't lived with the fact that I had cancer for very, like that I had the tumor for very long. It was like yeah, two days abrupt, isn't it? and it was yeah. gone. Yeah, not long at all. So yeah. I came home thinking, oh, this is sweet. I'll be able to lay on the couch, get comfy in bed, but everything was different. And it was actually quite traumatic. That first day being home was really confronting for me. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be very soothing and it wasn't. So that was a bit of a hurdle for me to have to get over. Do you think one of the reasons why it was so confronting and challenging uh, when you're at home was partly getting used to life with with a stoma. Yeah, basically, I was just petrified to eat mm. because you bow my bowel because they took out the lower half of my bowel. They had to detach the rest of my bowel and sort of move it down. So I had really bad stomach pain, like my whole stomach. I couldn't even sit up properly, and also based on where the stapling was of my bowel, like you know, the new part of my bowel that was connecting to the part that was yeah. closer to my rectum, I couldn't sit on a chair. Oh, like really? this chair that you're sitting on yeah. right now, I couldn't sit on a hardback chair for months. It would hurt. I just have this like dull ache in my ass. It's something you don't think about, is it? No, yeah. no, no one even considers that. And so like it was, you know, something else that I hadn't realised was another hurdle. So Touching on that though, Dally, for those listening, how does it, that hopefully doesn't gross too many listeners out, but how does a, yeah. I guess, ileostomy bag work, I suppose? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so what they do is they cut a hole in your stomach, sort of like sort 25, like 20 20, 25 millimetres mm. is the oh, wow. current yeah. size of my stoma. Wow. So that's what it's called. It's called a stoma. Yeah. So they cut a hole out of your stomach and then they get your small bowel. That's the difference between an ileostomy and a colostomy. Yep. So an ileostomy is in your small bowel. So they pull your small bowel up through the hole in your stomach and then they cut a hole in the bowel and stitch it to the hole in your stomach. Right. Just clever, isn't it? If that makes sense. <laughs> yes. So basically yeah. it diverts all of my waste, all of my poop through my stomach and then they have these bags and um, so you basically place the bag over the hole in your stomach and uh, it just fills with poop. Yeah. <laughs> and, that works. Uh, yep. Yeah. 
And so you keep that on you. For me personally, it definitely varies between some people keep theirs on for like a week. Some people change it every day. I change mine every second day. Yep. Breaking down that misconception though, just then we'll, then we'll stop talking about poo and we'll stop talking about poo bags and we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just really fascinated. I can talk about poo bags all day these days. No, the thing is, I'm so embarrassed and now I'm just like, you want to see it? Like yeah, episode I'm- four, uh, poo bags. Yeah, episode <laughs> four, Dali will do a demo. <laughs> but I'm... Um, yeah. I- <laughs> I'm generally fascinated. That's why I'm, but my last question, when you need to go to the bathroom, like people do, you still have no. urge or how does that oh, work? Oh, I haven't done a poo in four months. It's crazy. <laughs> 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 they, um, no, no, no. So it completely, bad, it completely diverts mm. the waste from your large bowel. Living with the ileostomy bag, you know what, having cancer is whatever, but the ileostomy bag was the real emotional trauma yeah Yeah. i thought i had to buy a whole new wardrobe because it's kind of like it kind of protrudes from your stomach like Mm. you can yeah yeah yeah, we're we're just looking at it now well yeah yeah, he's just assessing my pants right now so i do tend to wear baggy shirts to kind of prevent it from looking like i'm pregnant all the time Mm. although you you, i'll say you're incredibly open about it there's a photo of you in your bikini with with the bag and i think that is such a sort of empowering photo of like well yeah i do have this but yeah okay i'm happy to show it off i'm happy to talk about it and i feel like the more i talk about it the more comfortable i feel about it mm. absolutely i think that's uh, that's that's a great point and you know yes we're making light-hearted uh, humor about it but i think in a way that's good because it can kind of break down that barrier right we'll, we'll move on now but if we'll maybe we'll have an episode four talking poo with dahlia or something like that if you want so. yeah, yeah let's do that that'd be great so once you adjusted to life with your new stoma and before actually commencing chemotherapy, you had to experience another pretty emotional journey uh, with IVF. Yeah, I kind of just dove straight into IVF, just did quick freeze of some embryos and we were very successful that we were both quite fertile. So that was a bit of an emotional journey as well. You kind of think the first time you sit down to have an ultrasound of your womb, it's going to be this beautiful moment between you and your partner because you're choosing to have a baby, but the reason why... I was in those stirrups was because I was about to start chemo. So that was a pretty emotional day for me that I was not anticipating mm. at And you all. and me can sort of relate on that because, you know, I've become infertile from my chemotherapy as well. And although you and your partner had thought about, you know, kids and everything, I hadn't and I was a single bloke, but even that resonated with me a lot being like, oh, shit, this is something I took yeah, for granted. absolutely. Now I'm freezing sperm and doing this, not because... Oh, because of it, because of cancer. Yeah, it, it becomes awful real for you. At that really point. confronting. Mm. Oh yeah, for sure. And I remember during my testicular cancer and chemo days, I, I banked some sperm, and and now now I'm getting older. As you get older, is definitely something you really think about. Oh, for sure. And you know what? We didn't know whether we were fertile at that point either. So I was like, goodness, you know, what if we're not? What yeah. if this isn't successful? Because we didn't have time. My surgeon said to me, "You have eight weeks to cover from surgery, and you will absolutely be starting chemo yeah. exactly eight weeks." from that date. So I had to kind of get IVF started. You know, my surgery was on October 13th and my first appointment with the fertility specialist was the 2nd of November. Oh, wow. So it was straight away, getting it done right away. So that was a whole process. You have to take needles home and inject yourself. That's, a again, another story for another day where maybe we can do like a poo IVF. Yeah. <laughs> so started the appointment with a fertility specialist 2nd of November. By the 23rd of November, I had my eggs harvested, fertilized with David sperm, and we wound up with nine embryos, which is a huge success. Hmm. And a bit of a weight off our shoulders. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so they're on ice at the moment until we need them. And is there a time limit on that? 
No. Oh, fantastic. Because yeah. I've, got, I've got 10 years with my sperm. Yeah, I think so. maybe as a fertilised hmm. embryo, much more long-term. Definitely, so yeah, basically yeah. once you fertilise the eggs, the success rate I feel like is a, a little bit higher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they go from two cells, an embryo and an egg. Mm. Um, you have to wait for um, five days and then they will transpire into 100 cells yeah. and then that's when you can freeze them and they're oh, little babies ready yeah. to go. Yeah, wow. Well, that must have been a pretty emotional journey uh, to have to go through that at such a young age uh, with, with your husband. Yeah. When did you then have to commence your chemotherapy treatment? So after I did my egg harvest on the 23rd, time travel again because they sedate yeah. you. So it was time travel number three for the year. <laughs> on the 1st of December, I opted to have an infuser port installed under my right clavicle. Mm. No, clavicle's in the back. What's this one? No, clavicle. Yeah. clavicle. No, you're right. Okay, I was right. Okay. Anatomy, really? Oh, goodness. That's, that's anatomy. Anatomy. Five is really. I'm just, I'm just naked. You guys are pointing things out on me. <laughs> so yeah, it's basically something that goes under my skin. Um, it's a little sort of very, very small disc, hmm. and it's got a tube that connects to the central vein that goes straight into my heart. So that means that I don't have to have an injection in my arm. I don't have to have what's called a pick line the needle actually magnetizes to that little disc I was telling you about. They put a bit of dressing over it and I'm good to go. I can shower, I can exercise. Mm. It's not uncomfortable in any way. And I would definitely recommend it to anyone who's going through any long-term chemo to talk to your surgeon about potentially having this one installed because I've found it to be a massive help, especially because I have to have this 46-hour infusion Mm. with my Baxter bottle. Um, Yeah, Dahlia's sitting here with her Baxter bottle, her her infusion with me at the moment. So she's having chemo as as we talk. (laughs) Yeah. Chemotherapy as a whole is just an umbrella for drugs that kill uh, that kill cells at, at a rate, and they, they call that a log kill rate of them. So, like, you have some chemos that are, kill a lot more cells, and some that kill a lot less, and that um, works on how quickly your tumor is growing. It sounds like we're bloody comparing kills in Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, like we are. Cancer of duty. Oh, yeah. Cancer of duty. Yeah. Got to get your log kill up. Oh, yeah. I guess, <laughs> like, yeah, the bigger the cancer, the higher your kills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys would understand very much so how fati- like how tired you become yeah. from the chemo. And then I have to try and change, I have to try and have a shower and change my back again. You're so tired and you're just trying to. I'm just trying to rest and I'm trying to change this bag and poop you know, yeah. back on poop again. But like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just, it was just another layer that I think that, you know, had I not had to have the ileostomy bag, this process of chemo would have been a lot more smooth. Yeah, definitely. So we'll just move on a little bit now, but I just want to ask you, looking back at the last four months and what we've just been talking about and, and going from being told you've got stage three bowel cancer to waking up with an ileostomy bag to having to go through IVF, but Throughout the whole ordeal, you've seemed to just remain so positive yep. and upbeat and optimistic and, and you've kept your sense of humour and your infectious smile. I suppose, how have you managed to be like you are today? Like we said at the beginning, obviously every person's going to find comfort in different ways. Mm-hmm. So for David and I, you know, we run the bakery and shout out to everyone at the Brighton Jetty Bakery. They are absolute heroes the compassion that they've shown towards me and David and my family and and were the face of the bakery and obviously we were away for a few months so a lot of our customers were you know where have they gone are they going on holiday like they're slacking off or whatever and so it was really difficult for all of the staff to kind of be like we hadn't really said to them, you can tell them. In hindsight, I really feel like we should have because when David returned back to work, it was a very difficult time for him because, you know, you never know why someone's 
not been at work. Mm. And so it was very difficult to him for him to have these kinds of conversations with our customers, you know, no, we haven't been on holiday. Dahlia has bowel cancer. So fortunately, again, for us, I'm wanting to be quite open about it. And so coming down into the shop and having chats with customers and they can see how optimistic I am and I can see their facial expressions change from, you know, I don't know if this happens to you guys, but I'll say, oh, how are you going? And they'll be like, yeah, good. And how are you? They tend to whisper it. So, again, I feel really optimistic being able to explain to them how well I am doing and, you know, and then you can kind of change their perspective of what it's like to have cancer. You know, each person that you speak to and you explain to them, Mm. for me anyways, how I feel like my life has improved, like, can just leave them smiling. I don't know. And, and then I feel like I kind of vibe off that too. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's that's a, such a fantastic thing that you do being so, you know, positive and open about it is not only does that help yourself internally, but those people take away that and that's and more that's awareness. Money can't buy that, you no. know, yourself and you, Hugo, for bowel cancer are sort of leading the charge on uh, people getting these checks and going through the right treatment and not putting it off. And that's that's such a powerful thing, even if you guys don't see it directly but take me for example i have no idea about well i had no idea about bowel cancer and all that and then through you guys has completely changed my outlook on it and i'm sure i'm one of hundreds oh that's great to hear man it's kind of that breaking that taboo of uh that taboo topic of talking to people with cancer and and where i suppose not everyone's as open and honest as the three of us are which is which is understandable but like you said at the bakery dahlia and and um, someone asking how you were, but they almost felt awkward about it or like uncomfortable. And like Willie, I've touched on, we're both very open with it. And so if you're listening out there and you, you have got these these questions to do with whether it's, um, you know, poo bags or whether it's, you know, to do with bowel cancer or brain cancer or IVF treatment or whatever, we're all pretty pretty open and honest with, with, with our responses. So feel free to ask Dahlia about anything like that. Yeah, absolutely reach out. I'm happy to discuss any sort of anything that I've mentioned today. I think one thing that I just want to quickly touch on that I feel like has been a huge contributor to my mental health is continuing to exercise, which people don't really, Mm. oh, you've got cancer, you're meant to be resting. My mum is constantly telling me you need to be resting, you need to be sleeping. But exercising, I feel like has been a huge role in um, just my own self-confidence as well. You know, like I was exercising, I was doing reformal Pilates pretty intensely prior to my chemo. So I really tried to sort of keep that in mind, keeping that exercise going. And then also meditation that was brought to me by my friend, Rebecca, and it's been life-changing. I think that the difference between mental illness and mental health is something that I think needs to be separated. And I think a lot of people overlook their mental health until it sort of phases into a mental illness. So I feel like spreading the idea that by taking the time out of your day to really focus on your mind just for 10 minutes is something it's just been invaluable to me. Like I I cannot recommend it more highly. I go to um, a um, meditation center, a Buddhist uh, meditation. And I also have the app called Headspace, which is something that you can do from your home. And I just really want to promote that as something that's been a huge help for me, not only since I've been sick, but I just would recommend it to anyone in general, we all need to focus a little bit more on our minds to be able to yeah, prevent keep it, that anxiety it down. It becoming something precisely. Pre- yeah, and, and that's that's a fantastic point. Yeah, I'm really glad you touched on the mental health there, Dahlia, because it's something that Willie and I did mention in uh in my previous episode. How we've both really struggled with with mental health throughout what we've gone through, and it's such an important yeah important uh, issue at the moment in in today's society. And that is definitely something we want to really touch on in more depth in future episodes. 
on that though, we'll um, like Willie and I like to do each week. We uh, we have touched on some some very important uh, important topics this last uh, this last forty minutes or so. But we do like to finish. I will just go around the table. I'm not physically there, but just anything at all that's kind of like a a random little positive I, I can lead off. And I suppose mine would be I'm five days in a a six week challenge which started Monday with the local fitness group I, I go to and it's uh, no alcohol for six weeks, healthy meal plans for six weeks and then just ultimately just kind of that transformation six weeks. So for me, that's uh, I've never done one before. So I'm only a week in. So I'll probably speak to you next week and I'm probably not even doing it anymore. But <laughs> yeah, next, next Monday, we start you know, three more weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to you, Willie, what's your happy news, mate? Um, I got sent a photo of one of my... Uh, sort of friends from social media who also was had a stage four um, GBM in his brain, like a, a brain cancer. Anyway, has just now been fully into remission. He um, got it all cut out, chemo, everything, and he sent me this uh, photo of him sitting on a jetty with a bottle of whiskey. Um, and on the bottle, he had written in a permanent marker not to be opened until you're in remission. And it was like half empty. And he oh, just wow. sent me that. And I'm like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I was like, who's been touching the bottle? Um, he's like, no, he's completely wow. um, in remission from something that by the book should have killed him within the year. And he's just been one of the really, oh, I don't want to say lucky ones, you know, luck doesn't come, you know, doctors and everyone. No. Um, and then, yeah, it's fantastic. Does that give you personal hope moving forward for yourself? Oh, yeah, for sure. It sort of gives me hope for brain cancer as a whole, seeing these ones that are very severe cancers, very aggressive, and that there are people out there, you know, who have moved through um, in remission and he's moving on now for the rest of his life. Just sitting here and, and visualising that, it, it gives me goosebumps, but it's uh, that's amazing. And it, uh, it just shows that those who do have these types of brain cancer, uh, they can... Uh, get a cure so uh, luck for someone like yourself it must must give you huge hope so Dahlia you can finish us off what is your happy news on the on February the 3rd there is a Brighton Jetty Classic swim down at Brighton and it's um a competitive swim there's 400 meters 1500 meters etc and they've got all these amazing athletes um doing these swims but um as a part of that we me and David are affiliated with the Cancer Council SA event and it's called the Maryland Jetty Swim. It's been going for six years. Mm. Um, my husband's been the only man Oren. So in the last six years, they've raised over, raised over $300,000 for um, Cancer Council South Australia and that's not including the fundraising that they've done for this year. Um, they also opted to do a Guinness World Book of Records, so the most Marylands congregated in an area. So basically all the... <laughs> Participants dress up as Marilyn Monroe. They have wigs, winged eyeliner, lipstick, um, and everyone has their own sort of page to be raising funds. And so on the 3rd of December, they, uh, sorry, 3rd of February, they all jump into Australian flag doting life raft <laughs> yeah. and like doggy paddle around the jetty basically. <laughs> and so it's quite the spectacle. And we've been, I've been involved for the last three years. I was supposed to be involved this last year, but that's when I um, had a bit of a down day. And I, mm. you know, when you're so positive and you're so optimistic about your day to day, you think, oh, I'll be able to just march down the street. I'll be fine. But it was something that I couldn't participate in. So I had to listen to my body, had to go upstairs and I rang the cancer council hotline to ask them questions about the symptoms that I was facing and whether it meant that I need to go to the hospital. So for the very day that we were raising funds, I was using those call lines to make sure that I was 
okay myself. And it was a very successful day and they raised um, over $70,000 and it was something that I'm very proud of to be a part of. And it was a great day to spread awareness and to break Guinness World Book of Records. It is. And, and just to um, sort of touch on something there, uh, the Council Council hotline is 13 11 20. Um, if anyone you know needs to seek any information or or anything like that, and, and it is a fantastic resource for people to use if they're struggling or just oh, want your to know friends that. and family too can call up this yep. hotline as well to be given advice as to how to best cope as well because it's it's a it's a community you know it's your close family that are all affected so you don't necessarily have to have cancer to call that hotline. Yeah, sure. You're both significantly trumped me with talking about my little measly six week challenge. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll finish the episode up there, but thanks again, Dahlia, for joining us on today's episode and thanks for being so open and honest in sharing your your amazing journey and good luck going forward for the rest of your treatment and we'd love to have you back on the show again. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely keen to help out wherever I can in the future and again, anyone reach out who has any questions, happy to hear from you. Thanks, guys. Thanks. You've been listening to the 25 Stay Alive podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify to get fresh new weekly episodes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 25 Stay Alive. And feel free to send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time.